to the Vagabond Way podcast. The journey goes ever on with The Long Road. This episode, The Ways of the Vagabond. The Long Road this week talk all things Vagabond and what it means to us with some deeper insights from Kev Moore about his recent trek along the Camino Trail in northern Spain. Steve Bonham brings an entry from his Vagabond diary. Uh, and the Bishop, that's me, I look into the apparently zero-effort world of no-need bread loaves. The Vagabond Way podcast featuring The Long Road is exploring the world of the troubadour, the adventurer, the vagabond. The world isn't beige, it isn't processed, it's authentic, it's rich and it's real. And if those are the sorts of sentiments that make your brain light up, then hop on board. We are embracing all of those things, we're celebrating all of that, and we'd love it if you join us on the journey. Chris the Bish Leiden, welcome to another Long Road hosted audio party in your brain. Uh, another mix of thoughtful and slightly silly this week, but uh, a strong sense of the journey or travelling being the dominant theme this time. Uh, I think even when lots of us are, are stuck at home, for, for us, the Long Road, we're always travelling in our heads. The the next creative idea, the next song, the next story to be told, you know, we, we kind of see it in our heads, hear it in our minds. We stumble upon things on our fingertips when we're doodling about on our instruments. For me, certainly, it feels like this sense of being able to travel in your own mind has been heightened over the course of 2020. Okay, so before we get on to the content, the hashtag content, hashtag feed the beast, our usual parish notices, if, you, if you'll indulge. The, uh, the next episode of the Transatlantic Connection show will be out on Tuesday, the 24th of November, 2020, uh, and will feature part two of our chat with Mark Mandeville and Rayanne Richards, a superb Americana folk duo from Massachusetts, USA. Um, part one of that chat was out a couple of weeks ago in episode six, so do go and check it out. They are great musicians, great artists, and, and actually have inspired me sort of reassured me about the sort of state of the world today. Um, so head to our YouTube, youtube.com slash The Vagabond Way, uh, for those episodes. Also, don't forget to look up on YouTube our music videos for our recent EP release, um, Out of the Darkness, the songs Do You, On a Bridge Across the River, and If There's a God Out Here. They all have a, a very different sort of music video representing those three. Very different, but actually quintessentially long road songs. So have a look, share them with a pal if you think you might like them too. Uh, okay, on to today's hashtag content. the long road are together again for our podcast chat we've got steve at home in derbyshire hello steve hey up hey up and we've got kev actually at home in the uk kev you're 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 back How i'm back you? i'm back and i'm also in derbyshire uh, a, a bit a bit shell-shocked and uh, stunned at um, at getting back to civilization but yeah i'm here and what a civilization you came back to it's it's quite a place isn't it right now with all this coronavirus stuff and the u.s elections all that stuff it's been a bit of a heavy couple of weeks since you've been back so anyway yeah. for those of the podcast listeners who don't know kev has been away um, walking what's known as the Camino Trail in northern Spain. So he was living the, the true vagabond life for, a, you know, you were out for about a month, weren't you? Yeah, about a month. How's your head after after that, a month of being disconnected from society, really? Yeah, it, it's still spinning, really. Something I noticed, that within about three days, the grime, if you like, of the world drops away from you and you start to immerse yourself in this... Your, your day becomes incredibly simplified. Yeah. I mean, we're all machines and we are actually designed to work 
in harmony with the greater machine, which is the, you know, the earth, basically. So mm. you start to function with sunrise and sunset, especially if you're out in, the, in your tent, like I was some of the time. You're up literally with the lark. Uh, there's nothing else to do except start walking. Yeah. So you do, you know, when it gets dark, you have to stop. So it's, yeah. you, you're suddenly really governed by those very basic rules, you know, and that's a big change. It felt like absolutely the best place to be in these crazy times and probably the safest yeah. place to be, you know, alone, alone in a forest, wandering down yeah. a trail. It's fairly unlikely that it's going to get you there, you know. <laughs> I wasn't really prepared for the depth to which it affected me. I mean, I covered about 600 kilometres, which is a a huge amount. Not something I really considered I'd be able to do. I don't think I really thought it through, to be honest. (laughs) But but it's best not to. (laughs) It was probably better, on reflection, yeah. I mean, by the end, I was covering um, my my personal best, I think, with 44 kilometres in one day. Uh, and then the following day I got up and did another 19 to actually get me to Santiago. And that was the realisation that I was able to do that was was immense. People say that, you know, you you can escape your baggage when you go on the Camino, but I I don't think that's true. I think what you do, you take your baggage with you, but your, your ability to sort it and deal with it is unencumbered. So Mm. you, you, you see things very clearly. You have incredible uh, access to your own thought processes and, and so you have clarity of mind. You're moving through incredible scenery, you're meeting like-minded people and you find a, a, a gratitude for the most basic things. So, for example, mm. uh, when you arrive at the end of your day to a, an eight euro hostel and a bed... Yeah. You, it's like stopping in the Ritz. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. One place I, I camped with my tent and it had a water supply, you know, like a, a, a drinking fountain. And I thought, my God, I've got a bathroom. <laughs> yes. And, and it, I mean, it was so basic, but it's to get out of your tent in the morning, you to just wash your face next to your tent. Yeah. That's luxury, man. <laughs> luxury, yeah. It's sort of a, bit, a big change of perspective, I suppose, from, you yeah. know... Yeah. Uh, the d- day-to-day lives that most people live where yeah. there's so much input from media and other people you know most people live with other people or you know see lots of people I suppose not so much during this pandemic but mm. a lot of people do and you can't help but be influenced by lots of things that are going on I mean I know you, you I mean you kept in touch with everyone through Facebook and putting up pictures pictures and stuff I did but, yeah. it, but you were but you were still you know as you say at the end you were walking 44 kilometres a day. I mean, that's there must have been a huge amount of time for you to sort through your brain. Yeah, a lot of time for reflection. Your sleep would be the sleep of exhaustion pretty much every night. And yet, when you woke, it was with a, a sort of a joy for the next day. It's like, right, what are we going to see on the road today? You know, completely turned things on its head for me. It was very, very therapeutic. I'd really recommend it if, if people need to sort of, you know, sort their mind out or... The trail, I said this when on, on a post on Facebook once, it's, it doesn't love you, it doesn't hate you, even on the days when you think you, you're going to die, you know, because it's like mm. torrential winds and rain. It, it's yeah, completely yeah. ambivalent to you, it just is. So yeah. it kind of levels every playing field somehow. So those moments when the clouds part and there's a bit of blue sky, you, you, you literally express joy, you know, it's, it's, it's that yeah. basic, really. Steve's done his fair share of 
wild trips in various parts of the parts of the world. Yeah. And inevitably, in the, in the last few, we, Steve has poured out a bunch of creations from it, whether that's books or songs or mm-hmm. stories or, or all of it. I, I imagine you're sort of bubbling up with oh, yeah. stories, uh, pe- people you met, things you saw, just your own your, your own interpretation of your own experience. You, yeah. I imagine there's stuff bubbling away. Is there? Absolutely. I mean, you cannot help but be uh, inspired. And for, and for, for people like ourselves who, who are inherently creative, it, it's it's just like um, manna from heaven, you know. It's um, It was the same when I did my Blue Odyssey trip, which wasn't a walking trip, but... Um, it would have been impossible to to not write an album after a trip like yeah, that. You yeah, know, it's, it's, you, mm. you cannot. So uh, yeah, I've got it, this one will be a much more abstract sort of wellspring of ideas. I think it because of mm. it's kind of it'll be more to do with a way of thinking. Some of it will be probably quite nature sort of connected you know those sort of yeah. things but yeah, yeah absolutely there'll be there'll be camino stuff permeating the long road song book, yeah, i have definitely. no doubt <laughs> this term that we've used for years this vagabond term mm. which it, even me it's taken a little while to sort of get get my head around what it really what it really means yeah and it's and i mean steve it's one of those words you've you you were using it you were probably using it 20 years ago when we first started making uh-huh. music and i never i didn't get it then but kev has embodied the 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 spirit of the of the vagabond in the, in the most sort of not obvious in a in a negative way but if someone wanted to hear about what a vagabond was they might yeah. think okay yeah doing a walk through the the wilds of northern spain would be up there yeah, but th- there there are there are other way, there are other things about it as well i, I think it's we, really we each embody don't we you me Kev, we're all accredited vagabonds before Kev hit the road, but he's just kind of really taken it to the next level. I mean, to be a vagabond, and I do love the word, because it it has this lovely quality of aimlessness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, without going into it, a big influence of my creativity is a book by Herman Hesse years ago called Nope. It's not very long. About a vagabond, you know, a very talented guy who can do... You know, he's turned his hand to anything. He can sing, he can dance, he can do things with his hands. He's just very, very bright. But for some reason, he never settles into... Um, he never settles into a proper job. And in the book, he meets his old friends who have become, pro- you know, have proper jobs. Doctor and a, and a shoemaker and... Uh, I can't remember the other perhaps a baker. They all are totally perplexed by his life choice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, totally perplexed by his life choice, and yet they are also entranced by it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they can list all the things, and every there's only about three sections in the book, and every time the person he's with saying, "Why are you like this? Why don't you work for me as a, a journeyman, or, or or why don't you settle down and do this?" At the same time, they already know the answer to that. Mm. Yeah, and, I mean, but uh, at our heart, we we are tribal, aren't we? If we go back to our, our roots, we, we are tribal people, you know. And especially if you look at the, the example of, of the wandering musician in the olden days, mm-hmm. that's, that's where our profession as musicians has, has come from, you know, the guy that wanders mm-hmm. from town to town. Although you and I, Steve, are, have, have done the literal vagabond thing. I mean, there's a lot of vagabond in, in, in all our nature, isn't there? It, that, that sort of quest to, to, to go to different places, it in our minds or, or, you know, where we, how we write and what we explore. The, the vagabond is always the outsider. The idea of the borderlands is always interesting to me. We, we don't live 
completely away. Like we might go and do that occasionally, but actually we live on the we only live on the edge of the village or just outside. We we don't fully engage with the day to day routine. Even when we've got jobs, you know, they're 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 lightly held. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. I think it's a state of mind. Chris, is it a genetic thing? You suddenly think, well, I, I just don't, I don't really fit in with what, because you've never done what's expected of you. When I first met you, you were, you were supposed to be a doctor, then a teacher. So, I mean, what went wrong, my friend? <laughs> well, <laughs> this term proper job, I mean, oh my God, that's <laughs> such a horrible thing to think that there's, there's this world of people that have proper jobs and then the stuff that we do is not proper. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's something that society has seen, seen sort of everyone, um, go up against over the course of this year because everyone turned to arts and music and all that well, stuff. Well, it's, it's become politicised, doesn't it? The p- proper job. Yeah, yeah. Yes, um, and I think, and I think the nature of how our lives have been is that we, yeah, we may not have had regular nine to five jobs, but actually, we've we've all been dipping our toes in and out of loads of different things. For me, it's the only way that my brain can can do it. Always, always had lots of things on the go and and some of them turn into things that can you know earn a living from some of them turn into things that keep your brain going and keep your heart and your soul going yeah i think it's not that i think it's not that your brain can't deal with the normal job it's just that for it to thrive you have yeah. to have that right and, and thriving is the thing yeah the thing that i've discovered over the course of lockdown is you know having been at home for the longest stretch in my entire life finding the the sort of bits of self-sufficiency one can you know Baking your own bread, making your own food, having all that stuff is a great addition to my life, which I didn't have before. Uh, and it feeds into that, into that, the vagabond thing. I'm not on the road, but actually, I'm I'm keeping the spirit of some of the on the road things. You know, every, every day, like, what's my bread product this week going to be? What am I going to make today with my hands? What am I going to do? Make That's today? interesting. Do you think that the sort of vagabond mindset that we all have? helps us perhaps be more adaptable in a circumstance like lockdown. Uh, I think adaptability is one of the the hallmarks of a of a vagabond. Yeah. yeah. Because you on a on a financial level you don't know necessarily where your bill how your bill's going to be paid next month or in 3 months time or next week yeah. um, or in fact today. Um but also you can decide you can decide to create something. Uh, and we and sometimes we can for whatever reason we're we're able to channel into those bits of our of of of, of human brains that create things mm-hmm. that we can choose to make something new we can choose to change the world a little bit by making something new and i think that's part of being the the vagabond thing as well is that there's the decision to head out onto the road um or the decision to make a particular loaf of bread that week it's all part of the same it's all part of the same spirit. You can easily romanticise the, the vagabond idea, and I guess I'm guilty of that sometimes. It must be profoundly irritating to other people around you, um, and then yeah, you suddenly realise, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. But there is, there is part of it that we, I think we each three share the desire that actually other people can pick up bits of the vagabond nature and employ it in their lives to help you know make bits of their lives thrive as well i mean we've all we just by i think maybe it's by virtue of being musicians um that we want to share the joy with people yeah uh, and i think there are bits of it that you think anybody could pick up this little bit i actually really think that um everyone has the vagabond within them 
to a greater or lesser extent. And everyone has that bit that says, I want to do something differently. I want, I, I want to break, when I say break the rules, I don't mean gratuitously piss people off. Yeah. I mean, just think, oh, perhaps I'd, I'd either do it a different way, you know. I always hope with our kind of stories and the things we chat about that, that people listen to them think, not, oh, that's, they're great. They go, oh, I can do that. I think you could distill it down to the vagabond sort of vibe would be that just the question, what's round the next bend? The word that's going through my head then was happy accidents. Yeah. Mm. Letting yourself go in terms of being not so driven by the destination and more about the... Yeah, it's, the it's a cliche, but it, it really is the journey. <laughs> be a cliche but it's also true um, so often it is the journey that's the fulfilling thing rather than the actual you know final destination so i was thinking about what song we could play at this point that would fit in with the theme perhaps not surprisingly there are a bunch of songs in our back catalog that might fit in with the, the vagabond theme or even just the traveling theme uh, but i settled on this one which we have played on the podcast before but many many moons ago uh, and i love this song and uh, so i thought i'd share it with you again this is from our girl with the rattlesnake heart album from 2018 uh, and this track is called wayfaring stranger i am a poor wayfaring stranger traveling through this world of woe, yet there's no sickness, no toil, no danger in that bright world to which I'd go. I'm going there to see my father. Jordan, I'm only gone over 
people who keeps a diary. I don't keep a diary on a daily, daily basis. I travel with those beautiful black Molskine notebooks, writing down thoughts and uh, ideas, which usually, but not always, so perhaps not usually, but enough, end up as a source of a piece of writing or a song or something. Anyway, I was looking through some old ones and I found myself one day in Egypt wondering about travel. Travel, I wrote, is often about connecting to possibility. It is a couple, probably middle-aged, looking at the sun-burnt walls of a Tuscan farmhouse and thinking, we could live here. It's a little boy standing at the harbour edge, dreaming of the sea. It is General O'Brien, a Vietnam veteran, standing at the graveyard of an ancestor as the wet drizzle of a westerly breeze grumbles over, wondering if his son hadn't left, who would have come next? I begin to think that travel is not about a salty body on a sandy beach. But something much deeper, an almost ancestral calling. Embedded with us is the nomad, the wanderer, resolved to go somewhere else. Not just the pastoral nomad engaged in the rhythm and steady following of the plodding herd from Winter Valley to Summer High Pasture and back again, no, the sort of wandering demonstrated by the Helvetica, a tribe of Celts who moved, one day, en masse, from Switzerland to France. Historians and anthropologists always seek pseudo-rational reasons for this. The great tribal migrations across Europe and the rest of the world are always almost explained in terms of being food shortages, population increases, economic circumstances. But what if it were the other way around? Some tribes had the possibility or the curiosity gene and felt compelled to move and wander, whilst tribes without it just hung around till the next ice age or asteroid hit them. Surely natural selection would favour the possibility seeker. Travel is an echo or a mirror 
of our deep question, who we might be. So what are the discovery places in my life? Early morning Arizona desert, after a night on a greyhound bus, drinking coffee from a shack, next to which sat a Native American selling trinkets from a blanket. Driving with my old friend Marie in a little Peugeot in the dark, no idea where we were going, just with the deep, huge Atlas Mountains all around us, looming, more sensed than seen, till the moonlight broke through the cloud to illuminate a trace of snow. To Riyadh, where a modern sprawl stretches to become an endless desert and then becomes the sea. I once lay floating in the long pool at the centre of the compound I was staying in, in the beautiful, exquisite light of evening, imagining the miles I would have to travel to escape the then very possible threats I sensed around me, and much earlier, Cool Bay. My very first memory of landscape, sleeping in a little caravan on the beach with my parents and younger brother John, sleeping on the top bunk, contraption consisting of a piece of canvas stretched between two poles, slotted into wooden rests. Waking at first light, and laying my cheek against the coldness of the window, looking out at a huge sense of distance, depth, emptiness, the simplicity of the composition of still, grey, light, beach, lapping sea, low land, infinite sky, all monochrome pastel, and the smell of my mother cooking bacon and humming a familiar tune. It was then that I knew that a lonely place could be beautiful and feel safe. It's an image that has never left me and can be conjured up by a single word or a phrase. Hello and welcome to another Kev's Cafe Corner. This week we're visiting Mother Russia, specifically Moscow. And a bit of an anecdote for you from me. Now, way back around the turn of the millennium, uh, we went to tour Russia with Christy. Christy had something of a an interesting backstory uh, in Russia because they were the first Western pop band to uh, be seen really by Russian people, albeit illegally. Back in 1970, the band played the Sopot Festival in Poland and a lot of Russians were able to illegally tune in and, and see sort of shadowy figures on, on the TV. And it must have been quite a sight for communist Russia to witness long-haired musicians playing together. So they went into folklore a bit in, in Russia and we really felt that when we toured there um, that they were amazed to see the band in real life and it was it was quite an experience I must say and we were very well treated over there. And um, apart from the obvious highlights of playing Moscow Dynamo Stadium and um, St Petersburg and being given a private tour of Lenin in his mausoleum etc., 
um, there were other interesting factors, and that was the, the proliferation of bootlegs in Russia, of which there were many. Um, one interesting aspect of, of how music finds its way through any any barrier put up by politicians or regimes or whatever is these amazing um, things where Russians would get hold of a single, a rock and roll single, it would be smuggled into the country and then somewhere there'd be a secret cutting plant where they would use old x-ray films and cut copies of the these songs onto x-ray films so it'd be like the old flexi discs that you got with uh, Melody Maker and what have you and um, they had the, the nickname for them was the Russian word for ribs whatever that is uh, and I got a couple of these off a friend of mine over there and if you put them up to the light it indeed it indeed is somebody's ribs or a, a knee joint or whatever on, on an x-ray and these would be passed around on the underground circuit, you know, so people could listen to rock and roll. And I found this fascinating. Um, but also the the other bootlegs that later in later years started arriving. And I visited a record shop in Moscow. And I'm sort of browsing through the CDs. And found um, an album with, amongst other things, My Face On, which is quite disconcerting especially when it's one you're not familiar with. And uh, I looked at this album, and it was a, a Christie lineup that, you know, is now now run for about 30 years. But we hadn't really done too much recording with Jeff. We'd appeared on various compilations and recorded special songs, etc. But this particular album that was entitled Live in Israel was something I don't remember recording, never mind seeing as a product. Um and to see our faces on it was a little bit disconcerting. But um, a quick look at the uh, at the track listing, and it was indeed a lot of the songs that we did when we did tour Israel many years ago. And um, it, it was a fascinating document musically because, because of the nature of the show we did there, there were a lot of songs that we did that we never played normally around Europe. Extra songs, nice Tom Petty covers, Thunderclap Newman, etc., um, and somebody had obviously been in there with a reasonable quality microphone and recorded the set and bootlegged it. Um, and it's, you know, in its own way, it's quite flattering, really. But it just goes to show that there's this whole market, this underground market that's driven by the, the desire of people to have these products. And perhaps it's a... Um, a bit of a comment on on the record companies that don't realize that there's this market there and, and they don't cater to it in time and therefore somebody else comes along and enterprisingly does the job for them uh, but that was one of my more fascinating um visits to a record shop where i found a, a product that featured myself totally unlicensed by anybody um and, but nevertheless, a, a delight, a delight to see amongst many of the surprises and delights that we found when we were in Russia, including the little known fact that Yellow River, in fact, has been used at uh, sang at Russian weddings for some reason for a long time. Um, and also the fact that a Russian version of like a banana armor type band um, recorded a version of Yellow River that was phonetically similar but was in Russian, so it was called Yala Ribu. Still don't know what it was about, a completely crazy version. 
but um, it just goes to show you the impact that a song at less than three minutes can have and how it can travel and help you travel to all the corners of the globe. Um, and, you know, were it not for that song, I wouldn't have been stood in a Moscow record shop discovering illicit product that I was partly um, involved in creating. <laughs> so there you go, record shops in Moscow and um, their lack of credibility or veracity thereof was your topic for today. And bootlegs, not, you know, I, as a part of the business, I can't really condone them, but um, it's a fascinating area of the business. So until next time, catch you later. Sometimes, as we've discovered together over the months of the Bishop's Daily Bread, bread making or other culinary activities, sometimes just, you know, they just aren't that quick or easy. Um, you know, the 48 hours or 72 hours sometimes it takes to make proper croissant, for instance. The uh, six or seven attempts it took me to get even close to making something resembling actual mozzarella cheese. The continuing ongoing battle on the road searching for the perfect pizza dough from you know, quick versions to recipes that say you've got to let it rest for at least 24 hours in the fridge before you even shape the balls. Uh, and I still think that one's going to come down to oven temperature in the end. Anyway, one of the fundamentals, bread. Um, and it seems most breads need a good kneading process to make them work properly. Uh, I would be lying if I said I understand the technicalities of that at all. But people always say kneading is about stretching the gluten strands in the flour so you get a nice soft loaf at the end. I imagine if you did zero kneading somehow, you'd still get a loaf of some sort, the, the water in the dough evaporating in the heat of the oven, making the steam, which gets trapped inside the dough in its various ways, would produce some sort of aeration, surely. But, but recently I've been seeing a lot of recipes for no-knead bread, which obviously tickles at my efficiency centre in my brain. How do I get a good-slash-great-slash-perfect result with less effort? or in a less time-consuming way, um, especially with something you end up doing a lot of, you know, weekly or twice-weekly. Uh, bread loaves are a way of life for me now. Uh, long may it continue in whatever form it takes. Um, as far as I can see, these loaves consist of the same ingredients as, you know, normal bread, flour, salt, yeast, water, sometimes some extra oil or butter or something, or a dash of sugar, but essentially just a normal bread recipe. But after the initial mix, when the first dough ball is formed, it tends to be left for a lot longer, rather than an hour or so. More like 12 hours, or even 24 hours. Uh, and is that all there is to it? Will those same simple ingredients, just left for a lot longer before you bake, will that result in a loaf of bread that's as good as the ones you've needed for 10 minutes? Or <clears throat> got a machine to mostly need for 10 minutes? Um, as the long road, as we're heading into the studio next week... Uh, Okay, you're going to hear this actually after we've been in the studio, but I think we can all cope with the, the time paradox for now. Um, uh, no doubt we'll want to be making some bread. You know, it's kind of one of our things, or one of my things now. Um, uh, so I figured some no-need bread might be the way to go. Um, 
I think the payoff might be the longevity of the loaf. I suspect a no-knead bread will be soft like a normal loaf in the immediate hours after coming out of the oven, but perhaps by day two is much further along the the road to stay on this than a normal loaf might be. But I don't know. Um, I guess by the time you hear this, I'll have found out one way or another. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, wherever in the world you are. Subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts. The next episode will be out next Friday. Join us on YouTube for the Transatlantic Connection show and become part of the Transatlantic Connection movement. Head to youtube.com slash the Vagabond Way. All of our music is on Bandcamp, where you can help support a positive ecosystem for the music industry. You know, downloads, streaming, vinyls, CDs, it's, it's all there. TheVagabondWay.Bandcamp.com we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thevagabondway. Big thank you to our Patreons and a special shout out to Orla Flynn, James Lydon, Stuart Lydon, Yvette Lydon and Trish Taylor. Thank you for your ongoing support. Patreon is a great platform that makes it super easy for anyone out there, you, to support content that you love on a monthly basis. It gives you direct access to the people creating the stuff you love, us, hopefully, and you get to play an integral part in shaping the direction of things that we make. So become a Vagabonder. That's our name for our supporters on Patreon. To help us create music, live performances, books and short stories, this weekly podcast, our YouTube show, and some new things that we're cooking up. As a Vagabonder, you can get the recordings and books we make for free, receive exclusive patron-only merchandise in the post, get regular behind-the-scenes updates from us, unlock access to exclusive livestream performances and Q&As, and lots more. You can help us create something different, something that entertains, and something that inspires others. So, join us on the journey and release The Vagabond Within. Patreon.com slash The Vagabond Way. Thank you once again, brave adventurers, vagabonds and explorers, for joining us on The Vagabond Way. Remember, the world isn't beige, it's authentic, it's rich and it's real. Embrace every last bit of it. Until next time, the journey goes ever on with The Long Road. Bye for now. (laughs) 